Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. To become a supporter of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. All right, welcome everybody. We are homing in on the end of the book of Numbers here as we read Pinchas. Pinchas is Numbers chapter 25, 10 through chapter 30, verse 1. And it's the third to last parsha in the book of Numbers. And since next week's a double portion, that means we only have one more week of Bamidbar. Before we jump in, I want to say a huge thank you to Lisa and Dan Bendedowitz, and I hope I'm saying your name right, who made a contribution through the La Soak website to support 7-Minute Torah and to support this learning community. So thank you to them, and thanks to all of those who support this work on a regular basis or with a one-time contribution. And if you'd like to support 7-Minute Torah, you can go either to laasok.org, L-A-A-S-O-K.org, and click on Giving, or you can go to patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah, and there you can give a small per-episode amount So thanks again to the Bendetowitz family and to all of our supporters. I also have a couple of classes coming up, but I'm going to wait till the end to mention those. Let's talk Pinchas. In this week's Parsha, there are two major things that happen, neither of which I'm going to talk about. Pinchas is named after Pinchas, and Pinchas is a priest who zealously kills an Israelite and a Midianite who are essentially involved in a sexual act. Uh, But I talked about that in past years, and while it's interesting, I want to focus on something else. The second incident that we're not going to talk about is the daughters of Salafechad, these five women who step forward to petition for a plot of land to be handed to them since their father has no sons. Also an interesting story, but I'm not going to talk about that one either. You can go back to previous year's podcasts if you'd like to hear more about either of those things. The third thing that happens in this parsha, and where I wanted to focus, is on chapter 28, which is yet another listing of the festival calendar. How many times does the Torah need to tell us what all the holidays are? We saw this once back in Exodus, connected with the Exodus as the people were leaving Egypt. We saw it back in Leviticus, connected with the priestly stuff. It'll be again in Deuteronomy. And here again, the Torah lists the festival calendar, telling us what all of our holy days are. But the thing is that each of those listings of the calendar or listings of the holidays is a little different, serves a little different purpose. When we were dealing with it back in Exodus, it was very much connected with peoplehood and leaving Egypt. These are the holidays that you will celebrate as you become a free people. Here in Numbers, it's actually much more about sacrificial temple things. In fact, the chapter begins by talking about just that. This is the beginning of chapter 28. It says, Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Tzav et b'nei Yisrael lehem, Command the Israelite people and say to them that they should be careful in presenting to me offerings during stated times. In other words, this calendar I'm about to list to you is not just about holidays to celebrate. 
It's about the proper sacrifices to be offered on each holiday. And then the chapter goes through and lists them. So for example, it tells us that each day there's a daily offering of two yearling lambs without blemish, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And then on Shabbat, I'm kind of skipping through here, there are two yearling lambs without blemish, along with two tenths of a measure of choice flour with oil mixed in and the meal offering and a proper libation. So the Torah will now go through and tell us what sacrifices, what was supposed to be offered on a daily basis and on Shabbat and on Rosh Chodesh, the new moon, and during each of the springtime holidays, Pesach and Shavuot, and then during each of the fall holidays, which end up being, they don't call it this, but end up being Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. And Sukkot in particular, there's this very extensive set of sacrifices, one every day, of different amounts of bulls and different amounts of rams that are to be offered for the seven days of Sukkot plus the eighth day of Shemini Atzeret. So this chapter goes into an incredible amount of detail about what exactly was supposed to be sacrificed on every holiday. In other words, this is information for priests. It's not information for you and me, Joe Average Jew, who are just celebrating holidays with rest and enjoyment and special meals. Or is it? The answer is actually that this sacrificial stuff, while it feels very distant and very irrelevant, is actually incredibly relevant to our Judaism because it forms the basis upon which our Judaism is created. It's also a kind of an amazing story about how the rabbis transformed Judaism. So for this story, we have to go to the Talmud. This is from Tractate Gittin, page 56. And this is the rabbi's story about what happened when the temple was destroyed. I'm not going to read the whole Talmud page. It's actually quite a long story, but I'll just walk you through what happens. The story is that the city of Jerusalem is under siege by the Romans. It's the year 70 CE. And the city is falling apart. The Jews are fighting amongst themselves. The zealots have burned the stores of wheat. Jerusalem is about to fall. And the rabbi, who is leader of the rabbinic community, whose name is Yochanan ben Zakkai, understands that Jerusalem is lost. So, to make a long story short, he has himself smuggled out of the city in a body bag, which is the only way to get out of the city, to pretend you're dead. And he goes to see the general Vespasian, who's the one administering the war. He goes to Vespasian and says, Hail Caesar. Vespasian says, I'm not Caesar. I'm not the emperor. And just in that moment, according to the rabbis, a messenger comes in and says, the emperor is dead and you're the new emperor. So Vespasian looks at Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and says, I have to go be emperor now. What do you want? I'll give you one thing. And Yochanan ben Zakkai says, I understand that Jerusalem is lost. Please give me Yavne and let me gather the sages, the rabbis that are left and bring them to Yavne. Now, Yavne is a small city to the west of Jerusalem. It's kind of a nothing town. And so Vespasian could care less, and he says, sure, you can have Yavne. I won't destroy it. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai then goes about gathering together all the rabbis he can find who survive the war once the temple is destroyed and bringing them to Yavne, where they start the project of transforming Judaism, gathering together 
all of the snippets of teaching that have been passed down from generation to generation over hundreds of years, and compiling the Mishnah, which is the law, and the Midrash, which are the stories and interpretations, and in so doing, they transform Judaism from something based on temple sacrifice to something based on what you do in your home. And one of the things that the rabbis believed in that era was that the rituals we perform were taking the place of the daily sacrifices. So, for example, in Tractate Brachot, which is the tractate that deals with blessings in the Talmud, they say that the three daily prayer services are intended to take the place of the daily sacrifices. In other words, the holiness, the communication with God that used to happen via the temple and via the priests, will now happen via your own ritual. You stand before God, you pray, and you fulfill the obligation, which is the language the rabbis use about it, that the priest was taking care of for you by offering sacrifices in the temple. What does all this have to do with our Parsha? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the Parsha lists the holidays by way of describing what sacrifices were offered on each one. But these days, we don't offer sacrifices on the holidays. We rest, and we eat special meals, and we do mitzvot, and we pray, and we come together as community to celebrate. These practices and rituals, as far as Judaism is concerned, embody the very holiness that used to be understood to be embodied in the sacrificial system. In other words, what you do is holy. What you do has the capacity to bring God's holiness into the world just as much as any priest who can offer sacrifice. And that ultimately is one of the central messages of Judaism. The other reason I love this story is that it's a reminder that as Jews, we are constantly receiving a tradition and reshaping that tradition, reframing it, reforming it, reconstructing it based on the needs of a given generation. In fact, you could hear in there the words reform and reconstructionist, which are, of course, two branches of liberal Judaism in which we believe that Judaism is in constant evolution. So in a sense, Judaism has always been reform Judaism, not in the liberal egalitarian sense, but in the sense that in every age, Judaism has grown and changed as we have grown and changed. So that's why I wanted to read the boring part of the Parsha this year, because it's actually really fundamental to what Judaism is all about in these two ways. Number one, that Judaism places the capacity for holiness into each one of our hands. It says you are and your house is a mikdash me'at, a small version of the temple. You have both the capacity and the obligation, the responsibility, to live in holy ways. And number two, Judaism is constantly in evolution. Judaism never quite looks the same in any one generation as it looked in the previous generation or the one before that. And yet, what we do is based on this unbroken chain of tradition that's been handed down to us by a thousand generations who also cared about being Jewish. That's a pretty cool thing to be part of. Thanks for listening, everybody. So as promised, let me mention my two upcoming classes. First of all, if you're listening to this on Tuesday or Wednesday morning, it's not too late to join 
our Wednesday afternoon class that's called O Jerusalem. It starts on July 5th and runs for four Wednesdays in a row at 3 o'clock Eastern. We're going to study the history of Jerusalem both as a city and as an idea. We'll talk about the meaning of Jerusalem and how it has changed and evolved over the years. Secondly, next Friday, July 14th, I'm going to do a kind of an interesting session that's called Lechado Di, Shabbat, Sexuality, and Tikkun Olam in your favorite Friday night song. So you might have thought that Lechado Di was a prayer. It turns out not to be a prayer at all. It is a beautiful, mystical love song sung between God and the Jewish people with longing for the redemption of the world. It's a gorgeous song, and we're going to explore the messianism in it, the notion of tikkun olam and how it relates, and also the language of love and sexuality that's embedded into this song and into the imagery of Shabbat. That's just an hour, totally free, on Friday, July 14th at 3 o'clock Eastern Time or noon Pacific to get ready for Shabbat. Thanks again for listening, everybody, and I look forward to seeing you soon, either back here on the podcast or in the Zoom classroom. 7-Minute Torah is a production of La Asok, Sacred Texts, Modern Meaning. If you enjoy this program, please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. For more information about upcoming learning opportunities, go to laasok.org, L-A-A-S-O-K.org. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. Thanks for listening.